Yo, what's going on, y'all? It's your boy Soso, in case you ain't know so. And welcome back to another episode of Sports with Soso. Remember to show us some love on Instagram at Sports with Soso Podcast. And be sure to listen to and download all of the episodes at sportswithsoso.com. Today, we got a packed show for you guys. We'll be covering the Dolphins and the Hurricanes wins, a quick recap of the Masters, and we'll also follow up on some interesting offseason moves made by both the Marlins and the Heat. Let's go! Yo, Joel, pop quiz. What's up, bro? Which AFC East team has won six games in a row? I don't know. Tell me, Steve. It's the Miami Dolphins, baby. That's Let's right, go. baby. Let's go. Let's go, man. Big win against the Chargers this weekend. Uh, we were a little off on our predictions, but we'll get into that in a little bit. But, man, I, I'm really impressed with how this defense is balling and doing their thing for the Dolphins. It's very inspiring to see. The offense didn't have its greatest day, but it, it was really good enough to win a football game. And honestly, the defense came to play like we knew they would, bro. And they're they're probably the reason why the Dolphins are, A, getting as much love as they are nationally, and B, winning these type of games Absolutely. where they're kind of grinding out games. And they're definitely doing their things. Um, when we talked about our predictions, I had them going 31-17. You had it 24-10, yep. right? And we were both a little off. You know, I was a little bit closer to what the Dolphins were scoring with the 29 points. Um, Chargers had a little bit more than what we expected. But Herbert didn't really have a good day against us. The Dolphins got to him a lot. We had six pass deflections against him. We hit him eight times. We had four, five tackles for a loss. Um, sadly, we didn't have a defensive touchdown this weekend. But honestly, the defense came out to play. You know, Xavier Howard had his fifth interception of the season. Um, don't know if you know this, but he's second in the NFL. Do you know who's number one? Uh, this season? Yeah. I have no idea. It's JC Jackson. Nobody knows that Nobody guy. From, he's a Patriot. He has six. No but I feel like Howard's coming for that title this yeah. year. You know? Another highlight, too. Uh, Emmanuel Ogba put up his eighth sack of the season. That's a career best for him so Yo, far. that guy's out of control, man. And the fact that the Dolphins got him for such a cheap deal, like... He's a freaking steal. Yeah, you know, pennies, on steal. Pen, pennies on the and dollar. Pennies on the dollar. We're getting a, a crazy return on his investment, man. And we really didn't know what to expect from him, right, when we got him because we were like, damn, this guy's going to take that number. Cameron Wake had that number. You know, that's a famous number in our Dolphins organization, that 91. So you got to do it justice, right? Yep. And the guy's out here balling out of control. Eight sacks on the season. Fifth in the NFL. Uh, tied for fifth in the NFL. And it was just an impressive defensive output the entire game. You know, Dolphins really kept the pressure on the charges. And like I said, eight QB um, hits on on Herbert, that, that's a rough day for any quarterback. Oh, yeah, yeah. We definitely pressured him. Uh, 20 for 32, 182 yards, two touchdowns. And like you said, you mentioned that, that one interception. Uh, you know, he, he looked all right out there, but the, our defense definitely got the best of him. Uh, they they weren't able to to put enough points on the board at the end of the day. Yeah, and, and we made some key stops, you know, on third downs and stuff like that to make them punt or make it a third and really long, which obviously is an advantage to the Dolphins' defense. Um, as far as offensively and what we saw from Tool, it's, it's starting to become the norm, right? <laughs> a good performance from the kid. 3-0, baby. You know, 3-0, really nothing to write home about. Had a nice little performance, two touchdowns quietly, 169 yards. 
Um, I think he's the first rookie this year to go three and zero. I don't think Allen or uh, Joe Burrow definitely hasn't. Yeah, Ber- Haber- Allen Haber- hasn't. Haber- I mean, um, Herbert hasn't. But yeah, you know, it was a regular performance. I like saying that from Tua. Yeah, it was, it was, it was a little it was regular for him to have two touchdowns and no picks and throw over 150 yards. Yeah, I it, like that. It, it was a little underwhelming, you know, 15 for 25, 169 yards. But l- let me let me tell let me tell you these on the season so far. He has a 63.64 completion percentage. He has five touchdowns. Here's the big one. Zero interceptions. Zero interceptions. And 104.8 passer rating. I mean, he, uh, we. I like what I'm seeing. And again, he's. it's not like he's not throwing the ball. We're definitely throwing the ball, right? Because we need to throw the ball in certain situations in order to make that move. Um, so, it's again, it speaks to how accurate he is and how much that was a, a big part of his game and the hype around him. Like, right. man, this kid is so accurate. He could throw on the run. He could throw in the pocket. And we're seeing it, you know? We're seeing it. And, and man, is he making some accurate throws? Yeah. What do you think of the running back's performance, Ahmed? Um, I had never seen him before, before right. that game. Um, 21 rushes, 85 yards and a touchdown. I thought yep. it was solid performance, man. I really liked, uh, you know, we let go of Jordan Howard. Uh, we, we, you know, we didn't have any, any, any need for him anymore. He's really just a goal line guy. He doesn't really have a lot on him, so I understand really- that move. He, he didn't really pan out like we thought he exactly. would. Exactly. Right? And Matt Breda hasn't either. Uh, yeah. You know, we were, we, were, we were getting good production out of Gaskin, but he's been hurt the last couple games. So I really like this move with Ahmed, and I, I like the way he performed this past week. Yeah, me too, man. You know, something interesting, he was on the practice squad before, and then the Dolphins called him up, and he was actually uh, the backup to Miles Gaskin. In college at Washington. Did you know that? I didn't know that. That's, That's awesome. crazy, right? How this guy comes to him. Uh, he leaves college. He's like, damn, now I don't have to beat Gaskin's backup anymore. Gets to Miami and Gaskin's <laughs> on the team. It's like, shit, how do I get away from this guy, right. bro? So it's pretty crazy. But for me, I think it was really encouraging to see him run hard, right? The offensive line, again, doing a great, great, great job, man. Two of the rookies that have started at least five games for us. Um, on the right side and one of them on the left side, those those guys have really played beyond expectation for me. Because, again, you don't know what you get when you draft offensive linemen. You kind of hope that it just works out yeah. and they kind of gel with the red of veteran guys that you have on there. Um, but, bro, the Dolphins really invested in, in, in that position early in the drafts these past two years, and, and you can tell that it's paying off right now because we're able to get guys like him you know, an opportunity to do his thing and pay dividends because there's actually holes to be run through. And also Tua and the passing game, you know, Parker doing well, um, Williams doing well. Uh, those those guys obviously help that because the passing game is going to open the running game and vice versa. But it's really encouraging to see a guy like that um, take advantage of his opportunities and ball out. Um, you know, Something else that I wanted to point out on the defense, uh, because, again, I, I really think that the the driving force behind this team trying to make a playoff run is the defense. There's no doubt about that. Um, they that, The Dolphins kept the Chargers under 100 yards rushing. They had them as a team under 100 yards. They were actually at 99 yards. So it's not like a big accomplishment. But when you dissect that, that type of performance defensively hasn't happened since week four when we played the Seahawks. And we held those guys under 100 yards as a team. So that just shows you how strong this defense, this team is defensively and the level that they can reach in order to shut down, like I said last week, um, big scoring teams, teams that pride themselves on moving the ball offensively and putting up points. 
uh, it really makes me think we got a shot at not only making the playoffs, but maybe surprising somebody and like stealing a game out of our ass, you know, something like that. It's it's, it's very possible. What do you think about our playoff stretch? Uh, I mean, I think I think we have a great great chance. Buffalo just dropped a game, uh, lost a devastating, you know, heartbreaking tough, game last game. second. Amazing you know, catch the, by the Hopkins, DeAndre though. Hopkins. Shout out to him. Uh, probably catch of the year. Uh, three defenders in his face, but anyways, Bills drop a game. We uh, we go one game behind officially uh, in the standings, and we have the next three game stretch is actually a favorable one for the Dolphins. Yeah. So our next three games are we're playing at Broncos this Sunday at four o'clock. Broncos are struggling this year, mm-hmm. three and six, mm-hmm. having QB issues, having defensive issues. You know, I I think that's going to be a, a W we can secure next. Get the brown paper bags out, folks. We're playing the New York Jets. All right, zero and nine can't get a W. It's definitely not going to be on us. So those guys are losing on purpose at this point, man. Exactly, they're tanking for for Burrow. Poor that poor guy doesn't know what he's in for. And then after that, we're home for the Bengals, who are two six and one with their rookie quarterback Joe Burrow. So So, it's a neck. It's a favorable three game stretch. Right. It is a f- favorable three-game stretch for the Dolphins, and it's something that they can definitely take advantage of, right? Get some wins, like you said, and, and just keep the pressure on the Bills to not let go of a game, right? And us continue to win. Now, they have a tougher schedule than we do. I think they play Pittsburgh. They also play Baltimore. It's tough games that I think that they have coming up, um, and that might work in our favor. But we can't focus on them too much. We got to do what we got to do and focus on ourselves and and have that team just go out there and try to win every week, uh, regardless of who the opponent is. Yeah, you're absolutely right, because our last four games, home to the Chiefs, 8-1 and one right now. They're the powerhouse. I mean, yep. Mahomes magic with Ty- with Tyreek no, Hill. Tons of weapons, too, I mean, on that that's, that's that's a tough one for us. Right there, That things get a little interesting. Then we go home to the Patriots, who are 4-5. and five. They're, they're starting to come back. Beatable they're starting team, to get a little bit of win in their sales. We can beat those guys. But we can always take care of the Pats, especially now that they don't got Tom Brady. Correct. They no longer have our number. Correct. So bring it on, Belichick. And then we go at Raiders, who are 6-3 and three in the AFC East. I think we're going to be battling it out with them yeah, for, for a, a playoff, playoff spot, spot, for that wild card spot. So we need to win that game. And then guess who we close out the season with? Who do we close out the season? The Buffalo Bills. Yeah. So we, we have a, a tough, Monday night game. We have a great three-game stretch coming up where we can capitalize here and, and, and go from 6-0 and to 9-0 and now on, on this little stretch that we got. But we got some testers at the end of the season. That, that Buffalo game might definitely just end up defining the division. Right. When yeah. It's all hopefully said, hopefully when it's all that's what it done, comes down to right it's there. It's probably going to come down to that. No, because we, we got to give the Bills their credit. Obviously, they win games. They got weapons, too. Yeah. And we expect them to win uh, just like we expect to win. But that game is going to be interesting. Um, but to focus on the here and now and seeing what we get, um, you mentioned we got the Broncos coming up. One thing I want to point out about last game, Jason Sanders, I want to give him some extra love and a, a special shout out because the J- – the jinx from the announcers this past weekend <laughs> it killed always the streak. It nah, always man, happens. It this never is like fails. the third week in a row that they try to get that, and they mention it at the most inappropriate time and See, just say, well, you know, Sanders has been really great. It's like, yo, be quiet, shut up about my guy, let him do his thing, and let him get his kicks in, you know? But they messed that up for him. Bro. That's when I wish live betting was the thing. So that, <laughs> that way, when whenever I hear the announcer, oh, just right there, bet that he's going to miss it. Ooh. Like, just bet the house because right? you know it's coming every time. Jesus, man. It's incredible how that, that guy just killed the game for my man Sanders. But, hey, Jason. 
He bounced Dolph- back. Dolphins fans are, are definitely behind you, bro, and we trust in your legs. So keep up the good work, man. Hell yeah. Uh, let's focus on the Broncos. Like you said, we play them Sunday at four o'clock. The Dolphins. Oh, which are, I love. I don't know how you feel about this, but I, I love, love these four o'clock games, bro. I'm gonna I'm gonna wake up early, watch some soccer in the morning, and then get my burgers ready. Cook them around one o'clock as the games are going, and then right around four o'clock, get ready in front of my couch and be super happy with what That's I'm right, about man. to see, right? Yeah. Um, it's going to be really dope to see the Dolphins go out there and kick some ass. Right now, they're a three-and-a-half favorite, and the over-under is about 45 points last okay. night checked. Um, again, the Broncos, we know what they have, right? They have a really good wide receiver, rookie, and Jerry Judy. Very impressive. Dolphins can definitely benefit from drafting a kid like that in this upcoming draft. Um, you mentioned Locke and is he being hurt. I'm not really sold on that guy. So I, I put the Broncos in that realm of teams that want to lose but don't want to come out and say that they want to lose, right? Because they think they can get a quarterback that they can win with in this draft. So I definitely see the Dolphins winning. How do you have it before I give my prediction? Uh, I, I definitely got the Dolphins winning. I mean, I don't think the Broncos are, are anybody that we can't handle. Uh, so I got the Dolphins winning 31-13, and I'm taking the under. 31-13. Okay, that's cool. Taking the under. Me, I'm I'm just right above the over-under. I got the Dolphins winning kind of big this game, 38-15. to Offensively, I don't expect a lot out of the Broncos. Our defense is too good. So this is a good opportunity where we get really a lot of pressure, especially if they have to start their backup quarterback. We know they're going to try to protect him. And what he throws, that opens up the blitz for us, which opens up the entire defense. So I... I I gonna see us stifling their offense and two actually opening it up and maybe getting a 300 yard game where he's able to air it out against a weak Broncos defense. You know, um, not the greatest, but they're definitely not like they were back in the days. So I got the Dolphins winning 38 15, kind of a big win there. Uh, nice. And, and seeing what they got. Let's do it, baby. Fins up. Fins up, man. Uh, speaking of big wins, I got the the Canes win this. This past weekend, yep, even though our predictions were over Virginia Tech, yeah, man, even though our predictions were way off, uh, to say the least, yeah, to say the very <laughs> least, bro. Should we even repeat them? Uh, Let's just say we were off. How we leave it at that? We'll how about, how about that. we just leave it at that? I'll say it fast, right? I had them forty-two twenty-seven. <laughs> you had it forty-nine seventeen, and it ended up being an uglier game than a lot than closer any, than a lot of people expected, bro. Which was crazy. Um... I'm not really a fan of how that game was played. It's an ugly game to win. They got it. Uh, but I was dead wrong about the the Hurricanes. You know, I was a little almost to the point of disappointed. And, and I'll tell you why. Because when I saw that they dropped in rankings from 9 to 12, I was like, that's correct. This is how the ranking system is working. Other teams are starting to play. Other teams that are better than the Hurricanes or more established than the Hurricanes right now are, are probably being put in their positions inside the top 10 and the Canes are just outside that bubble you know again if it ha- if it hasn't been for the Eric King and and his great stud. performances he's a stud. right maybe we lose a game or two right maybe even three games so we always kind of need him to have a big game he had 255 yards threw a touchdown rushed for a touchdown but he wasn't as effective with he with his carries. He had 18 carries this game for only 15 yards. So they knew to key on him whenever he did keep the ball. So he didn't get a chance to open it up like he normally would. Um, it was a little sad to see the Dolphins, the Hurricanes, get to that point. But 
I knew it was coming. I don't know how you felt about the game. I mean, we we expected more. Uh, I'm disappointed. I, I thought, you know, obviously from my prediction, I thought it was going to be high scoring. Uh, you know, I thought they were going to be clicking. I thought King was going to come back with another, you know, three, 400-yard game and, right. and multiple touchdowns, you know, passing. Um, I thought the defense was going to buckle down and, and make some adjustments after that, you know, that last game. So uh, I'm a little disappointed, to be honest, man. Could've yeah. It could have been a better win. It should have been a better win. And, you know, like you said, our predictions were based on the fact that the the Hurricanes could actually really put up points with whoever they wanted to, right, in, in this season. They've shown that ability. Um, but we were just looking for something extra in this game, and I don't think that that we got it. Uh, but I do have to give a special shout-out to two people, right? Number one is going to be Wiggins. Wiggins had a great game. He had eight catches for 106 yards. Uh, he didn't score, but he was able to get – open enough and actually be effective and be a target for Derrick King. Um, that It seems like every week we get a new wide receiver that's able to step up and become readily available to Derrick King and not only make plays but just be a target, right? Some Somebody that he can look at when he's scrambling or has to move in the pocket. And all of those guys have shown their different abilities on what they can offer to the offense by being targets for Derrick King. You know, we've had Harley have big games. We've had Pope have big games. And all of these guys' skill sets are a little skill sets are a little bit different from each other, but they all work cohesively as a unit. Um, it's kind of like what I wish we would get from the running game where we have talent in talent at that position, right. but they just don't seem to put it together as consistent as the wide receivers do. But it is what it is. Um, the Hurricanes won. They have their record. Twelfth uh, in the nation. They're probably where they should be. The second shout-out that I wanted to give was to Manny Diaz. Uh, this is the second game that we win in the fourth quarter. Uh, we actually were trailing in this game going into the fourth quarter. And I have to say that because I know I've been putting him in the doghouse. But he definitely has this, condi- this team conditioned good enough to win games in the fourth quarter and mentally prepared as a coach on game day as probably one of his strengths, motivating these guys to play even harder in the fourth quarter, believing in their conditioning and believing in their strength. Um, It's not easy to do with kids, and he definitely knows that he has these kids playing the way that he wants them to with energy in the fourth quarter, which has always been our thing, which is why we throw up the four. Absolutely. Now, they have some issues. You know, a couple of the guys had caught COVID last week and missed the game. Um, Now, a couple more guys caught COVID and they had to postpone their next three matches, which kind of sucks for us because um, as fans, we don't get to watch. But as, you know, podcasters, we're we're missing out on the experience to not only watch the game, look at it, enjoy it, and also dissect it with you guys. Um, We got next three opponents, Georgia Tech. Uh, we'll be at Wake Forest after that, and we play North Carolina at home. Um, what do you think about those next three teams and what they could potentially offer as far as a uh, challenge for the Hurricanes? So you said it was next up we got Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech. Then we got at Wake Forest. At Wake Forest. And, and home against North Carolina. The Georgia Tech North game Carolina. is a home game too. So I think that Georgia Tech game is going to be an interesting one. Uh, that Miami-Georgia uh, Tech game is always pretty good. You know, Right. 
So they're, they're going to have to watch out. They, they can't make the same mistakes that they're making. I mean, they, they were penalized eight times for 77 yards this last game. That cannot happen against Sloppy. Tech. They got to stop those mistakes. Um, Wake Forest, I think that's that's a win. Uh, I think that that's an easy win for the Hurricanes. Uh, and then the North Carolina game, I think that's going to be another one where, uh, you know, it, it's, it should be an easy win. Um, but it's it's something where North Carolina can can come up, put up some some points. Well, what I what I think it is more than that is the Hurricanes have proven right. It's not a shot; it's just a proven statement um, that they have been able to falter against teams that should be easy wins, right? Uh, at least on paper, um, we've seen them lose to teams that they shouldn't be losing to, right? We're not going to mention the games, but definitely have had losses within the last couple of years where where it's like. Damn, you know, this wouldn't even happen in in NCAA if you ran a simulation it, right? a couple yeah, times, right? Yeah, if you right? ran a simulation, it wouldn't <laughs> happen, right? So we know that they have a penchant for doing that. It's up to them keeping the faith, right, in themselves and their rankings and being undefeated um, or having that one loss against Clemson, um, which is almost like being <laughs> undefeated, right, because they beat everybody uh, when they're healthy. But just finding a way to, like, persevere, get everybody healthy, get everybody on the same page, kind of use this time that is not going to be on the field to, like, hone in on some of the basics, right, that they're slipping on and seeing if they can make a good run of it towards the end of the year. You know, nobody expects them to be in the ACC championship. That's that's fine and dandy. But we do expect them to win out on the schedule and just win games like they should. Especially if, if they're as good as advertised, right? Because we've seen them be really good on offense and really good at defense. The day, the, the day they can put it together, we know we got a good Hurricanes team, right? So let's see if, if they can use this break and, and kind of work on those things and, and come up with something better for the next couple of games. Yeah, man. Uh, I wanted to give a shout-out to Dustin Johnson. Uh, he won the Masters this past weekend, his first green jacket. Um, with an actual record of the lowest score in the tournament history. Now, some might be able to debate whether the conditions were in his favor to shoot lower or whatnot, but at the end of the day, he played well every single day and really shot to put pressure on his opponents because other guys had good days, um, had some slips here and there, but nobody played as consistent as Dustin did this weekend, and it was cool to see him win that. Yeah, it was a hell of a tournament, man. Uh, we had to wait, you know, till November, where it's usually in April. Yep. Um, but you know, it was a it, it turned out to be a really, really good Masters. I mean, we had Dustin Johnson, twenty under, uh, like you mentioned, and he you know broke the record. I think the previous record was uh, Tiger Woods and Jordan Spieth held it at nineteen under. Yep. Uh, so you're you're talking he he's playing five strokes better every day, which would make his par about sixty seven. Which is what Bryson, what Bryson DeChambeau didn't do, exactly. And didn't do. <laughs> he right. was embarrassed out there, man. Was, and that was a sweet, sweet redemption. I, I didn't want Bryson to win the green jacket personally. So, you know, to see him go out there and, and get humiliated by Augusta National was, was a thing of beauty. Um, but you had guys, you know, you had Justin Thomas in the top five, Rory McIlroy, yeah. Brooks Kepka broke top ten, John Rahm was in the top ten. It was an exciting Masters. And... Um, it was and competitive. The, you know, the, the best man won. The number one in the world, Dustin Johnson, his second major, 22nd, you know, tour victory. 
Uh, congrats to him, man. It was yeah. a hell of a performance. Most definitely. Like you said, there were a lot of guys that were in the hunt. And had it not been for this record, right, um, shooting every day, like you said, shooting uh, under five every day, that this whole field would have been a lot closer. And the Masters probably would have came down to the last two, three holes, you know. But again, Dustin Johnson was able to stay consistent mentally mentally, and with his putting game. Uh, he had three straight birdies to wrap up the the masters and put himself out of reach which was cool um and even cooler is doing it with his brother there as his caddy um to be there and have him you know caddy you in the masters that the whole weekend awesome. you shooting a record um and then ultimately winning it with tiger woods putting the green jacket on you know i saw it on espn he said that that was a dream come true um but which is pretty cool and a memorable moment for for a guy like dustin johnson and he deserves it it, it was really cool to see him get emotional you know on, at the uh, at the end of the tournament during the interview because he's a very stoic guy he's a yep. man of very few words uh you know they asked him what his favorite food was at the masters he said he likes the sandwiches when yeah. they asked him which one he said all of them you know he, he doesn't really talk much you don't get a lot from him so to, to see him get choked up like that and really taking in that moment of winning the Masters was, was pretty cool it to watch dope, as man. a fan. And this is the guy who has everything, right? He has a hot wife. You know, he's dating Gretzky. Uh, he's married. He's married, married to, to Wayne Gretzky. He's a great one's the daughter. The great one's daughter. A yeah. badass in golf. Yep. Just won the Masters. Yep. Like, this guy's on top of the world. Bro. And he has a chance to repeat now in five months because we got the Masters 2021 right down the corner. Right, know, right down the street. Right across the street. In, uh, in April, so... Uh, but it, I do want to mention, though, you know, we, we got to talk about two guys real quick that we got to give honorable mentions to. Your guy, uh, Phil, he yep. did make the cut this week, which was yep. great, but he didn't do that great over the weekend. He finished wasn't Phil. three over. It, it, it's, you know, it's, it is what it is. It's what we expected from Phil. You know, I'm glad he made the cut, though, at least. Yeah. And he was there for the weekend, like he, like you said. He wanted exactly. to be there on Sunday. And our boy Tiger, man. Rough. Played a good round early on. You know, he was in the mix. We thought Tiger, you know, has a chance, you know, to, to repeat. And uh, and it, Just he stay fell close, apart Tiger. on Sunday, man. I don't know if you saw on Sunday on uh, on hole 12, yeah. which actually last year hole 12 was a moment, momentum shifter that led him to win the green jacket because his opponents went in the water. Right. Tony Finau and, uh, and Molinari and both went in the water. In he the put water. it in the center of the green. Well, on Sunday on 12, he shot a 10. Seven over on that hole because he put like four balls in the, in water. the water. It was it was just terrible. He ends up coming back and shooting like five birdies on the back after that to yeah. finish one under for the tournament. It's it was rough, man. And you know, it's like my boy always says, you know, there's no need to be too humble in life when life does a really good job of humbling you <laughs> on its own. And there's you no know? there's no more humbling sport than golf. Absolutely not, you know, and again. We got to see what we wanted to see as fans, right? Yeah, Our guys were in it towards the end, and we also saw some other great performances. Um, for instance, like we saw Sanjay M, and we also saw the Mexicano Abraham Anser, who, again, in that top five, attempting to push Dustin Johnson and seeing like those guys push him to play better, and Dustin Johnson stepping up to the play and just kicking ass man so yeah a lot of diversity there man dustin johnson obviously the american winning it but you got cameron smith the australian yep tied for second song jm like you mentioned tied for second you got abraham answer out of mexico there you know it's a lot of diversity it's very cool to see so it's not just always the same uh vanilla face people yeah (laughs) every every year nobody wants to see the same people winning it you know everybody wants to see like different 
people just going for it, the best of the world, right? Every sport should be the best of the world, best of the world, and everybody welcome. So it's pretty cool to see a, a, a sport like golf have that. You know, it's really cool. Yeah, man. But congrats again to Dustin. Yeah, man. It was dope. Um, something else that I wanted to bring up, you know, there there have been some offseason movement. You know, baseball's in its offseason right now. Basketball's on its shortened <laughs> um, offseason. And the Marlins just recently made some history with Derek Jeter hiring the first female GM, not only in baseball, but in the NBA and the NFL and the NHL, right? Uh, Kim Ang. Sports, yeah. yeah, man. Kim Ang. Uh, at first, everybody was like, who is this lady, right? And why did Derek Jeter hire her? But when you look into it a little bit more, man, and you do some research on her, on her history, this lady is more than well-equipped to be a GM of, of a baseball team. Um, started off with very successful teams. He worked for the White Sox as a career analyst, won the first arbitration against Alex Fernandez, Miami's own Alex Fernandez. Uh, when he was in Chicago and he went to arbitration with the White Sox, she was the lead prosecutor on the case to actually present the case for the on behalf of the White Sox and won. Um, she was the first woman to do it, and she was the youngest ever at that point, to win uh, arbitration case. So she's very knowledgeable when it comes to baseball and how it works and the ins and outs of how a player should be paid and what's a good business move and how a team should be built. Um, she, she, The way she got into this position, I believe, is with her great relationship with Derek Jeter from the Yankees. Uh, she used to be an assistant GM to Brian Cashman in New York well, between the – golden era one would say of the Yankees in the late 90s when they were starting to dominate baseball um, but that's how she really was able to like get into the business of baseball operations and how teams should be built and how the draft farm should should look and the farm system should be rated and it's no no surprise after doing the research that I did why Derek Jeter hired her yeah absolute no-brain decision uh, I mean, look at her resume. She, you know, she spent uh, multiple years with the Yankees and Dodgers. She was a part of eight playoff runs with both teams. Yeah, she was a part of three World Series titles. Uh, she's the fifth person now to lead the Marlins in, in baseball operations, which says a lot. I mean, that's a that's a crucial decision that you have to make to to select someone to to run your organization like that. Which means that Jeter has full trust. In, you know, in Kim. So I'm excited, man. And, you know, we talk a lot about culture. You know, we know that he got a great culture. We see the Dolphins this season. Yep. We, they, they got a great culture in the locker room. They're, they got great chemistry. They're doing good things. You know, this is this is all part of J Derek Jeter's uh, master plan. You know, he wants his people in place. And, and that's what Kim brings to the table. She's going to bring that vision and she's going to help us open up some doors to hopefully bring in some some new players, some new young talent and some, some different um, – I don't even know. I don't know how to put it. So I'm, I would a, say a different a, feeling, a different feeling, right? Like a winning feeling, yeah. right? Like something, something like we new. saw something new, you know, for the Marlins to say, look, we've known we've done some shitty things in the past and you guys have every single freaking right to not trust us as fans. Right. We're on a pay as you go basis. Right. As with between the Marlins and and the fans. Um, but this is the type of thing that draws the Marlins fans back into watching the Marlins in paying attention to what's going on with the team and when the stadium opens up hopefully soon and going to see a game right in person. 
it it moves like this, right? Because you see that it's not just a oh, this is my friend and she's gonna get the job because I like her and she and she thinks that I'm cool. No, this lady is a proven winner and she's shown the ability to get a farm system and take it to its maximum ability. And the way the Marlins operate financially is to have a strong farm system. So we have already shown that the farm system is producing young talent. We've traded for some young talent and we've had some farm system young talent come up, but they're on the field and they're playing well and they're cheap. And that's for as much as it sucks, it's Marlins style at the moment, getting the most out of the farm system. And this and Kim is definitely going to bring this to a higher level for the Marlins, which is super exciting to see. You know, I'm excited to see where, like, the direction that this goes once she gets settled in and, and takes the job on. Absolutely, I'm I'm right there with you, man. I'm I'm excited. That's the that's the big the big feeling right now is excited for this move. I mean, yeah, bro, I she's got a lot to in. work with. You know, she's got a lot to work with. The Marlins had a top five farm system in 2020 uh, when it came to all the rankings. So we just come came off our first playoff, you know, appearance in exactly. years. Exactly. Exactly. A lot so of good pieces, a lot of good, you know, components. So she has a lot, a lot of work talent, with there. Man. She's going to take it up to the next level. I'm excited as a Marlins fan, bro. Hell yeah. Uh, How excited also, are you as a Heat fan, though? Super excited, bro. <laughs> and I'll tell you why, man. You know, I'm I'm not going to say I'm buying into the hype of who we drafted because Pat Riley says so. But I'm going to buy into the <laughs> hype of the draft pick. Why is right? that? Because Pat, Pat Riley, Riley says, says so. so. Exactly. And... and, and, and that's me being diehard Heat fan, you know, whatever. It is what it is. But beyond that, it's the type of position that we needed, right? Yep. We needed a big man, but not necessarily a seven-footer who can't move. No, we need a guy tall enough, long enough arms who can move side to side and really protect the rim to allow Bam to go ahead and cover whoever we need him to cover on the floor without doing that sacrifice of defensive work down in the paint because we couldn't count on Kelly Olenek or Miles Leonard or anybody else in that position consistently to say, hey, go in here and play 30, 40 minutes with Bam, right? We needed to draft something like that or pick something up like that in free agency. It's still possible that we do get it, right, depending on how the rest of free agency works out. But I am excited to see that we drafted a player of that sort even though the guy's name is Precious, which is kind of <laughs> oh, upsetting. you don't even want if if you think his name is is interesting, you don't want to hear his siblings. No, names. I f- I know what the, <laughs> the names of the siblings. I saw him on Twitter. You know, it was it was actually <laughs> trending, and for the most part, I get it. Right, uh, it's good to see that he has such a humble background with a family uh, based on religion and and having that upbringing. So we know that he's going to be a hard worker, not a guy who's going to be getting in a lot of trouble or anything like that in the streets or any or like out in yeah, the town. Yeah, it's going to bring any, being in any Miami, a bad right? reputation to our heat culture that we have. He's exactly, going to fit that know? culture. And, you know, and and it's and for for better or worse, you know, for all the uh, quote unquote belief or non-belief in heat culture, I really do think that they try to make moves based on that. Yeah, right? absolutely. Saying, does this guy fit our not only does he fit our needs. Yeah, a million guys fit our needs, but do they have that ability to absorb this type of culture Live, that we have here, eat, right? Sleep, breathe, heat basketball. Culture. Yeah, man, you know. And and they definitely draft in that sense because it, there's no other way to build it, right? You need to have guys that you're molding from a young age and saying, okay, you're 18, 19, 20 years old. Let me show you how we work in the Miami Heat organization. 
Now you got to go to sleep at at, at 7.30, wake up at 2, get some practice, get your this and that. Here are your six meals a day. Make sure you're running six miles a day, whatever it takes. That's the type of level that it takes to be a Heat player. Um, we've always known that. And I really do think that they try to draft guys that can fit that so that it's not an issue moving forward. And guys are always better off for it anyways because even if they don't be necessarily pan out in their career, they can probably last longer than most other guys because they work hard, they work on their craft, and they're about the team, and they really buy, buy into that type of stuff. So it was really cool to see the, the, the Miami Heat make that pick. I don't know what you thought about it yourself. I, I I liked it, man. I, I honestly like it. You know, Pat said that he, he was looking for somebody to interchange with Bam, somebody with high energy, a big that can be aggressive and, and you know, and play on both sides of the ball. Uh, you know, I think that's what we got. 6'9", 225. He was the only freshman to average a double-double uh, this season. He was the AAC player of the year. Yeah, man. Uh, you know, those are those are some pretty good The guy averaged have right 16 there. points, 11 rebounds, and two blocks, man. You know, the, that's the type of guy that – you're like, okay, production. his production, pure production, you know. He's going to protect the rim, and we know that he can score whenever the ball comes to him, right? He's not necessarily a great shooter, but he is serviceable at it. Now, that's something that he has to work on. But he won freshman of the year. He's a small ball center. Um, like I said, average 16 points, 11 rebounds, two blocks. That feels like a real good complement to what could be – put next to Bam and saying, okay, now I can get even more out of Bam defensively because I don't need him to protect the rim and lose out on protecting the three-point line. Now I can let him roam free and protect whatever it takes with having him in that kind of like free-ranging mode. I really think that's a dope, dope move by the... I'm still kind of sold on us getting Gallinari and maybe even pulling off a crazy trade for Beal, right? If if there was two things to happen for the Heat, I would say we definitely make the move for Gallinari, right? He fits our immediate need. He's that type of player, a big guy who can protect the rim when needed, can shoot. It's going to allow Bam to explore the floor, not necessarily tie him down, and can sit on the wing where we can attack the paint without a big man there. Um He'd be the perfect fit, and I think that Pat's going to go after him harder than anything else. Um, I really think his second, his first target is Beal, but that's a little bit more complicated, right? Because Beal has his Supermax deal, and we would have to pretty much do like some type of crazy trade in order to get that guy here, that guy here, excuse me. And he also has to pretty much come out in the media and say, yo, I want to go play in Miami which I don't think is going to happen, you know. So let's see what, what works out for them. It's probable that we sign Jay Crowder, and we're definitely going to Yeah, we definitely got to re-sign Crowder. Yeah, and what do you think about re-signing Dragon too, right? I mean, I, makes I, sense. I think we got to I think we got to keep Dragon. I think we got to keep Crowder. You know, those are great veterans right there, you know. they they And they produce. They, Crowder's our three-point guy. He, he, he bangs down low, too. He gets rebounds. You know, he's, he's real gritty. And then Dragic is our pace, man. There's there's games where we're down and, like, the heat looks stagnant and, and the Dragon will go on a run and bring us right back and get us right back in the game. Like, yeah. I, I, like I like both those guys. We got we to gotta keep them. Unless we're using them to leverage for greater pieces. If it that's the case, then. In my opinion, the only piece that makes sense for us to make a big splash for is Bradley Beal. You know, it would have been Drew. 
Drew, but we, that he didn't signed with out. the Bucks. He signed with so then that the takes Bucks. out Drew and Giannis, possibly, right? Well, I'm, I don't think we go after Giannis. I don't think that we don't go after Giannis this year, but I don't think Giannis stays in Milwaukee. You but think he gives him one more year? Maybe this year, and that's it. I don't see him being there long term, man, because eventually he's gonna feel like I gotta go to a team that really has the the powerful draw in order to get a big time player, not necessarily a big time free agent, because nowadays, especially in the NBA, if a player wants to move, they're gonna be moved, you know. So it's always easier to find a way to, to link up and say, "Yo, let's both get traded to Dallas, L.A., New York, whatever, Miami." Right, so all of that guy has to do pretty much is come out and say, "I'm really not happy here. I'd rather go play in Miami," you know. And it's very possible that Beal is one of those guys because he really could link up well with Jimmy Butler, and and he fits the Heat culture, right? He's a dog, plays like a dog. Uh, he knows he's always scrapping and getting whatever he can, so he can definitely fit in here. That's the only big move that I see. The heat going after um, anything else really doesn't make sense for us because we're we're trying to save as much cap space as we can for twenty one in order to make a run at Giannis or whoever else is right another big name. Well, yeah. well, then let me ask you this too. You know, we're not the only ones making moves or looking to make moves. There's there's other teams making moves, and yeah, there's a possibility that James Harden comes to the Eastern Conference yeah. to either the Sixers or the Nets. If he joins the Nets, more so than the Sixers. What do you think? How do you feel about that and how it affects the Heat? I'm going to preface this by saying, yes, I'm a Heat fan, sometimes a cocky Heat fan, right? That move doesn't necessarily scare me. Here's why. A, Kyrie Irving has a history injury, so he's bound not to play the 82 games, right? I can say the same thing almost pretty much about KD. I really doubt he plays the 82 games, right? So now... You add a guy in James Harden who, for lack of a better way to say it, hasn't been successful as far as a super team member is concerned, right? He was with OKC. They made a finals. That was it. They broke up. Um, He went to Houston, linked up with some players, linked up with CP3, linked up with Westbrook, never really panned out. So now he's going to go to Brooklyn with a guy coming off a major injury, albeit one of the top three players in the NBA, right, when it's all said and done. Um, but somebody like him, somebody with a ball hog problem in Kyrie, uh, and I just don't think it's going to work. You know, he can try to force his way out of there, and, and yeah, they'll score a lot of points, and they'll win games, and they'll make the playoffs. But there's no way you look at that squad and say, yep, they can win a championship. Yep, they can easily beat the Bucks or the Celtics. Because now it's no more bubble, hopefully. There's going to be games in actual arenas, and you're going to have to have fans and cheering and whatnot, real home court advantage. So that stuff is going to be a factor in this next upcoming season. So I really don't see that big move. Uh, a bigger move to me is not necessarily championship worthy, but uh, probably one of the biggest moves was CP3 going to Phoenix. They're putting themselves in a position where they're like, well, we have the talent. They've proven that they can win and really be on the brink of making the playoffs. 
what happens if we add a superstar type point guard to kind of pull the strings and put everybody in the right place as a veteran? Boom, CP3 lands, and now they're looking dangerous in the West because we know that CP3 is that high quality player that any team that has him is in contention not only to make the playoffs, to make a deep run in the playoffs because the team is going to be led by an experienced leader with guts, uh, brains, ability, and the leadership for any type of team. So him going to Phoenix was really interesting to me. Um, you had uh, Schroeder going from OKC to the Lakers. That's a good move. They're probably anticipating losing John Rondo, which I think is a downgrade. Uh, Schroeder's nice, but, you know, Rondo proved how valuable he is, right, with with his game. So uh, I'm going to be interested in what they do. Um, the Bucks, like we talked about, they, they traded for Drew Holiday, um, and they – kind of traded for Bogdanovich, but now they're being accused of tampering. Yeah, it's going and back that, and forth. There's a whole deal there. I don't think that trade's going to go through, which leads me to further believe, like, yo, these guys are in panic mode trying to make all the moves they can to kind of sell it to Giannis to be like, hey, stay. You know? Right. And I don't really think that those moves are going to work. But to me, I don't see Harden being moved. I probably see Westbrook being moved, even though he doesn't have a lot of trade value at this point, you know, because everybody knows who he is and he's getting a lot of money. Mr. Triple-Double. It's crazy to think. Yeah. One of the, one of the, when he was but on OKC two years ago, he was one of the most efficient guy. players on the court. Maybe not in terms of efficiency, but just as far as what you were going to get out of him, you know what I mean? MVP, you know, like former MVP. He's mm-hmm. a dog. And, and he goes to Houston and they, they have this shit season. I don't think he ever should have gone to Houston, man. I, I, I don't think Houston ever should have got, got rid of Clint Capella. And made those changes to bring in, you know, Westbrook and all that. But hey, I won't get into that's, any. That's of that. for them, yeah. you know. But but again, it goes back to what I was saying about Harden, right? This is a, Westbrook is the type of guy that's been on good teams, on teams that are quote unquote title contenders. Yeah, and, and it's never really panned out for him. And he's had his struggles in the playoffs, just like James Harden has gotten into the playoffs. And both of those guys have struggled, you know, to Westbrook play, and Harden to play well and and win games, you know. Flat out, go out there and win games. Yeah. Um, we've seen other people like Jimmy Butler do it. So you think, damn, is Jimmy Butler already better than Westbrook and Harden? Because when it's playoff times, those guys are downgrading and Jimmy stock is like skyrocketing. Yeah. You know, and his game is skyrocketing. He um, just signed with Lee Ning. He's the new yeah. face of Lee Ning so, now. Thanks exactly, to Dwayne Wade for that. I'm telling you, man, the, the, the draw of the culture down here is really real, bro. And people who fit in will find a way to make it here, especially the superstars who want to be here, man. You know what I just thought about right now, too? Thinking back to my question I posed to you about Brooklyn. You know, on paper, yeah, it's scary. You're talking, you know, Kevin Durant. Like you said, arguably one of the, one of the greatest players in the game today. Uh, you got uh, Kyrie Irving, you know, former NBA champion. And you got um, James Harden. But one thing that I, that I think about all of them is that they're all ISO players. All of them. I mean, yeah. I know KD can play, you know, off the dribble and stuff and do, you know, different things. But for the most part, they they, they thrive in ISO. So can you imagine a game where all three of them are in the game playing ISO, asking for the ball? Homie, there's only <laughs> Who one gets ball. the ball? Bro, there's only one ball. Yeah, that's you know not I mean? So, like, that's why, I, I again, people talking a lot of shit about the, the East. Oh, it's not as strong as the West. Blase, 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 blase. 
what I think is the East is a, a lot more competitive, right? Because, yeah, the teams might not be superstar teams, right? But they're definitely teams that are poised to win games, right? And make not only the playoffs, but real playoff runs, right? Philadelphia, uh, Boston, uh, Milwaukee, Toronto, the Heat, all teams that is like, yo, this is our goal year in, year out. For me, I don't like the fact that people are sleeping on the Heat and the ability to re-sign this team, maybe add a player or two, right, like I have said earlier, and go right back to, to where, where we were. just came from. Exactly. Right back to where we were. Because there is no clear-cut favor in the East. I don't care what other teams are doing right now. None of those guys are the favorite to win a championship out of the East. Sorry, right? That's That respect goes to the Lakers because they're defending the title and they still have Anthony Davis and they still have LeBron James. So until you can beat that, sorry for you, yeah. okay? No team out of the East is, is going to be the favorite to win the championship. Don't sleep on the Heat being a top three team in the East this year. And if and if you do... Because it's, it's very realistic. And if you do sleep on them, that's perfectly fine with me, man, because I love the Heat being underdogs. Nah, I feel like nah. it makes those boys, you know, eat that much... I that much that hungrier shit. for it, man. I hate that shit. You know why? I love because it. I love when we're underdogs. I hate that shit, man. You know why? Because it always it always falls on like the, the national media to like hate even when we're winning or when we're doing good or they're trying to give us praise. They still find ways to throw us jabs. So it's like, you know what? Let my team be good. Leave us alone. Don't talk about us. We'll catch you guys in the playoffs where we're supposed to be, you know? Yeah, I think it just lights a fire up under their ass and to, to, to not be the outright number one. You know, that's what they're always fighting for. Because as yeah. soon as you get up there, that's when you start, you know, getting complacent. So as long as, you know, as long as they're underdogs, I'm okay. It's heat culture, baby. Let Don't don't sleep on me, baby, because we're going to hit you in the mouth. It's going to be a fun season, man. It's going to be a fun season, bro. I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited. I can't wait to see what the next moves are going to be. Yeah, bro. We're going to see them make some moves, no doubt. Well, this is another episode down in the books, bro. Yes, sir. As always. Pleasure. Appreciate you, man. Appreciate you having Everybody else, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Um, remember to follow us on Instagram at Sports with So So Podcast. You can always download this episode and listen to past episodes as well at sportswithsoso.com. Check your boy out later. Peace. Peace.